0: This is one of the stories we talked about there in Iowa. I'll set it up this way. Of all the stories in church history, this is one of the most meaningful to me personally. The Lord once said to Noah, remember this, my spirit shall not always strive with man, yet his day shall be 120 years. And if men do not repent, I will send in the floods upon them. Remember that? That's a remarkable and telling statement. At one and the same moment, it's a stern warning, but it's also a source of comfort. The Lord gave them 120 years to get their act together. The scriptures say that the Lord in his spirit will strive with us. The meaning of that, he does not give up on you that easily. May I illustrate? Oliver Cowdery was a man highly favored of the Lord. He was granted a vision of the Lord to know that the Book of Mormon was true, even before he met Joseph Smith. He wrote nearly the entire Book of Mormon as it fell from the lips of the prophet. He received the lesser priesthood under the hand of John the Baptist and the greater priesthood from Peter, James, and John. He saw in vision the glories these two priesthoods would work down through the times. He was the first man baptized for the remission of sins in this dispensation and was the second elder of the church. He stood in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Kirtland Temple and with Joseph received the keys of the kingdom from Moses, Elias, and Elijah. But then in 1838, Oliver became angry with certain church leaders and with the way the church was being governed in temporal affairs. And he was angered because of what he considered the unjust behavior of certain officers. He was called before the high council to answer a number of charges against him on the basis of principle and pride. Oliver refused to appear and was subsequently, April 1838, excommunicated from the church. It's telling that at that critical moment, other men, angry with the church, some apostates, some just the church's enemies, then, at that moment of most disgruntlement, approached Oliver and asked him candidly, Now, tell us the truth. Did you really see the angel? Are those plates from God? Tell us the truth. To their surprise, Oliver affirmed that the testimony written in the Book of Mormon was true. Oliver may have been angry, but he was not an apostate. Indeed, Phineas Young, Brigham's brother and Oliver's brother-in-law, said of Oliver, his heart is still with his old friends. For ten and a half years, Oliver was outside the church. He practiced law in Ohio as the church moved on and went west without him. He maintained favorable relations with friends in the church and strove, this is important, strove diligently to maintain a reputation worthy of what he had witnessed. He would let no one tarnish that reputation because it would reflect on his testimony of the Book of Mormon. As time progressed, Oliver's heart began to soften. He spoke in his correspondence of being the oldest member of the church and of returning to the church and going west. Finally, October 27, 1848, Oliver and his family rode into a clearing near Canesville, Iowa, in the middle of a church meeting. Orson Hyde was speaking. Orson is reported to have stopped, recognized Oliver, came down off the stand and brought Oliver to the front and invited him to speak to the congregation. It is reported by witnesses that with great emotion Oliver took the pulpit and spoke to the largest audience he had ever addressed. He bore a powerful and compelling witness of what he knew of a certainty. He said this in part. Friends and brethren, my name is Cowdery, Oliver Cowdery. In the early history of this church, I stood identified with her and one in her counsels. True it is that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Not because I was better than the rest of mankind was I called, but to fulfill the purposes of God, as he called me to a high and holy calling. I wrote with my own pen the entire Book of Mormon, save a few pages, as it fell from the lips of the prophet Joseph Smith as he translated it by the gift and power of God, by the means of the Yerman Thummim, or as it is also called by that book, Holy Interpreters. I beheld with my eyes and handled with my hands the gold plates from which it was transcribed. I also saw with my eyes and handled with my hands the Holy Interpreters. That book is true. Sidney Rigdon did not write it, Mr. Spalding did not write it, I wrote it myself, as it fell from the lips of the prophet. It contains the everlasting gospel and came forth to the children of men in fulfillment of the revelations of John, where he says he saw an angel come with the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It, the Book of Mormon, contains principles of salvation. And if you, my hearers, will walk by the light and obey its precepts, you will be saved with an everlasting salvation in the kingdom of God on high. Brother Hyde, he said, has just said that it is very important that we keep and walk in the true channel in order to avoid the sandbars. This is true. The channel, Oliver said, is here. The holy priesthood is here. I was present with Joseph when the higher or Melchizedek priesthood was conferred by the holy angel from on high. This priesthood, as was then declared, is also to remain upon the earth until the last remnant of time. This holy priesthood authority we then conferred upon many and is just as good and valid as though God had done it in person. I laid my hands upon that man. He pointed to Orson Hyde. Yes, I laid my right hand upon his head and I conferred upon him this priesthood and he holds that priesthood now. He was also called through me by the prayer of faith an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, after that meeting in early November, 1848, Oliver Cowdery appeared before the Canesville High Council. They had concerns about whether or not he was to come back into the church and what he wanted if he did, to which Oliver said, Brethren, for a number of years I have been separated from you. I now desire to come back. I wish to come humbly and to be one in your midst. I seek no station. I only wish to be identified with you. I am out of the church. I am not a member of the church, but I wish to become a member of it. I wish to come in at the door. I know the door. I have not come here to seek precedence. I come humbly and throw myself upon the decisions of this body, knowing as I do that the decisions are right and should be obeyed. On November 12th, 1848, Oliver Cowdery was rebaptized by Orson Hyde in Mosquito Creek near Council Bluffs, Iowa. I went back and forth over Mosquito Creek while I was out there. Every time I did, I thought of Oliver. Not long after these events, Oliver was visited by Jacob Gates from Utah who inquired of him, his witness of the Book of Mormon. Gates recorded Oliver as saying the following, quote, Jacob, I want you to remember what I say to you. I am a dying man, and what would it profit me to tell you a lie? I know that this Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. My eyes saw, my ears heard, and my understanding was touched, and I know that whereof I testified is true. It was no dream, no vain imagination of the mind. It was real. End of quote. I've seen it recorded in the early days of the church that when Oliver Cowdery bore his testimony, the foundations of the house shook. Then sometime in 1849, Oliver became progressively ill. It started with a cold and got worse to the point where he was coughing up blood. Though his plans were to go to Salt Lake and join the saints, he was too ill and traveled instead to Richmond, Missouri to be with his in-laws, the Whitmers. It was there in Richmond, Missouri. On March 3rd, 1850, David Whitmer described Oliver Cowdery's last moments. Quote, Oliver died, the happiest man I ever saw. After shaking hands with the family and kissing his wife and daughter, he said, now I lay me down for the last time. I am going to my savior. And he died immediately, David said, with a smile on his face. My friends, I hope this story comforts you. It's a witness to me that God will indeed strive with men. He does not give up on us easily, but rather is patient and works with us. Indeed, if we are willing all the way to completion and perfection, perhaps we should be just a little more patient with ourselves and forgiving. After all, He is. How important is it that we take care of each other and be kind to one another? I believe it's very important. Thomas Rawson Taylor, no relation, at least not that I'm aware of. Thomas Rawson Taylor was born May 9th. 1807, in Osset, near Wakefield, England, the son of the Reverend Thomas Taylor. When Thomas came of age, he pursued the occupation of a merchant and then a printer. But a desire to serve God overwhelmed all else, and at the age of 18, he began to study for the ministry. On one occasion, while passing through the village of Sheffield, He was invited to preach at a local chapel. Now, mind you, he's a minister in training. He's a student. But nonetheless, he filled the pulpit and preached a sermon titled To the Young, which was so well-received that Thomas was invited back again and then again and then again. It was hoped by the congregants that the young student would become their permanent pastor. He was subsequently appointed, in July 1830, and immediately, Thomas Ross and Taylor distinguished himself, not only for his articulate ability to preach and connect with his people, but also for his undying love and devotion to those he served. He was there in their hour of need. In December 1830, he stood before his congregation and reportedly preached a sermon so affecting that nearly the whole assembly was melted to tears, end of quote. However, within a month, Thomas Rosson Taylor was taken ill with tuberculosis and forced to resign his post as pastor. After a period of some recovery, he then accepted a post as tutor at his old alma mater. But again, he couldn't do it. Illness forced him to resign. It's interesting that he was again traveling at Christmas time from Sheffield to Nottingham, where he was again invited to preach at his old pulpit. He did so twice and shortly after caught a severe cold. That cold took his life. The local newspaper, and I found the copy wrote in great deal of the passing of Thomas Ross and Taylor. Quote, No minister ever loved his people more ardently or served them more faithfully than did he. And few ministers were more useful. Whether seated in the cottages of the pious poor or in the houses of the wealthy and learned, he was equally welcome and entirely at home. Age has often sat listening in silent admiration to his instructive discourse, and the spirit of the Christian has often been cheered in sorrow's darkest day by the heavenly consolations he administered and the tender sympathy he expressed End of quote Thomas Ross and Taylor was buried at Horton Lane Chapel in Bradford, England having passed away at peace with his maker. He was only 27. And yet in that short time, he had learned this great truth. God is love. Perhaps I should also mention, Thomas Rosson Taylor was also an accomplished poet who wrote out of the abundance of his heart many poems. One of his poems we sing today. This from the pastor who knew how to love. Quote, Earth with her 10,000 flowers, air with all its beams and showers, heaven's infinite expanse, sea's resplendent countenance, all around and all above bear this record, God is love. Sounds among the vales and hills, in the woods and by the rills, of the breeze and of the bird, by the gentle murmur stirred. Sacred songs beneath, above, have one chorus. God is love. And so it goes on. God is love. I think this next story you all know, but I found out something recently about this story that makes it even more compelling for me. The title of this story, as it were, is Brothers. Margaret Kirkwood was born August the 9th, 1809 in Kilbarton, Scotland, and joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, April 1st, 1840. By the time Margaret departed Scotland for America, Margaret had already buried her husband and two of her six children, both daughters. Margaret and her boys arrived in Iowa City June 26th, 1856 and were organized into the Willie Handcart Company. Margaret, quote, sold most of her precious belongings to obtain money for her handcart and supplies, end of quote. As Margaret joined up and came across with the Willie Handcart Company. She did so with four sons, Robert, 22, Thomas, 19, James, 11, and Joseph, four. Some years before, her second son, Thomas, had been injured on the streets of Glasgow and was unable to walk. So as the family came across the plains, He was pulled in the handcart by his mother, a frail petite woman of only five feet in height, and by his older brother, Robert. When winter snows caught the Kirkwood family and the Willie Company along the Sweetwater River in Wyoming, it made an already heavy burden unbearable. Then came the ordeal of Rocky Ridge, October 23rd. 1856 the Willie company was forced for their own survival to march 15 miles up and over that awful and exposed summit in the face of a terrible winter storm with Thomas in the cart Margaret and Robert struggled all that day and into the next to reach the camp at Rock Creek Hollow meanwhile the lads James, 11, and Joseph, 4, fell behind. When little Joseph could no longer walk, his brother James picked him up and carried him on his back the remainder of the journey. They would not reach camp until the following morning. It is reported that upon reaching camp, James Kirkwood set his little brother down by the fireside. Then James, quote, having so faithfully carried out his task, collapsed and died from exposure and overexertion. Now, my friends, what is remarkable is that devotion of two older brothers who would labor so long and hard to carry their younger brothers. One would live, Thomas, but only for two more years, while the other brother would not James. But they live on in cherished pioneer remembrance. And I can't help but think, two brothers who carried their younger brothers, where did they learn such a thing? This was a mother who somehow in some way taught her children to take care of each other to the last extreme. And one more thing that is not generally recited. Quote, When the Kirkwood family became members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Margaret was disowned by her prominent family in Scotland, who were fabric designers, and also by her husband's family, the Kirkwoods. Mrs. Kirkwood made the statement many times that if it were necessary, she would go through all the hardships and heartaches again for the gospel's sake, end of quote. I just want you to know God is watching over us. We are not alone. Someone said in the conference, I believe it was Elder Legrand Curtis who said it, if not from him, at least he said it was the power that affected me. There are those who study our history and lose faith because of it. And Elder Curtis said, and I loved the way he said it, and for those who have lost faith because of church history, they have not studied it enough. And to that, I give my witness. This history is evidence of the signs, wonders, and miracles of Almighty God among this people. I hope you have a great week and that the Spirit of the Lord is with you throughout and a prayer in your heart. Good night and God bless. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at Glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.